0: You're listening to this Sunday's sermon from Hope Church RVA. To find out more about Hope, plan your next visit, or support the work we're doing in Richmond and beyond, visit HopeChurchRVA.com. Hey there, everybody, So good to see you. Glad to be together at the start of a new year. And if you're joining us online, welcome. It's a rainy, chilly New Year's Sunday in Richmond, and we're really glad you're with us. So maybe stating the obvious, uh, the COVID uh, beast has overrun the flood walls, and there are just tons and tons and tons of people now who have it. So uh, we're praying for our congregation that um, people who get it do not have serious implications and life-threatening struggles with it, but we seem to be in sort of a new journey with all of this. So uh, what I want to do is just begin with a word of prayer, and as Wes said, I'm going to just try to give us some framework as a Sunday for the new year. We're a church. What are we looking at as we start the new year? What are the foundations, the frameworks that we're looking at as we're moving forward? So let's pray together and then we'll get into it. Our Father in heaven, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And this becomes very meaningful to us as time passes, as the calendar says, a new year is here. When Moses asked you who you are, your answer was, I am. The present tense, always in the present tense. And your scriptures tell us that to you, a thousand years is a day and a day is a thousand years. That all time is in the present tense for you, which is hard for us to grasp. But you are present and prevailing over all of time as though it were one Present moment. So, Lord, we come to you at the beginning of a new year. We give you our own personal hopes and dreams. We pray also for the world. We pray for our country and for the countries of the world. We pray, Lord, that you would be bringing about peace and reconciliation. We know the world labors and struggles under the weight of sin. We pray, Jesus Christ that you would be rising by your spirit in the hearts of millions of people around the world and in our nation, bringing them home to true life that is life from you. And Lord, would you help us to be a part of that? Would you privilege us to be servants in that? And would you speak to us personally about Christ in our own hearts and our own lives, bringing us clarity at the start of a new year. And we pray that this would be for your glory and if it is, then we know it's for our joy. And so we offer this prayer to you in the name of our risen Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> okay, everybody. So foundations maybe and framework for a new year. I've sort of come to start the new year, the first Sunday in January year with a bit of a, what's the year look like? Maybe some foundational frameworks for the coming year. So today I want to focus particularly on the church and our church, and what things look like as we move forward. So three particular little sections of scripture that give us reference points from Acts 9.31. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. Colossians 1.18, speaking about the church, says it this way, and he, that is Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So then everything, he might have the supremacy. Colossians six: this same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It's bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, Just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. These are three different sections of scripture that frame a picture for us about the church alive, the dynamic church. The church where the Holy Spirit is present, calling our lives to God's glory feeding us on the authority of God's word, clarifying for us who God truly is, and lifting us to the life that he alone has to give us. So I want to begin by giving you a little framework, a little story, a little background of the church. This is going to be like church history in about one minute, like 2,000 years of background in about one minute. First of all, the church, in some ways an enigma In some ways, an invisible reality. In other ways, a present reality. The church, as we've said many times around hope, is always people. It's not primarily institutions or buildings or structures or committees. It's always people. It's God's people gathered together as well. It's not just isolated individuals. The church is a corporate body of people. And so the church began in about 30 AD on this one reality, Jesus Christ is alive. This is why the church came into existence. This is the incendiary moment, the event that changed history. This is that centerpiece around which hundreds of very, very ordinary people witnessed a very extraordinary reality that this Jesus Christ who had been crucified by the Romans, who had been buried and been put in a grave, who had been seen and observed by thousands of people throughout Galilee and Palestine, and who had been clearly understood to be dead and in a grave, was alive. This is a most extraordinary reality, and it is the ignition, the incendiary spark, that is the message of the church. If you read through the book of Acts closely, you will see repeatedly that the believers are repeatedly testifying, I'm standing before you to tell you that Jesus Christ has been resurrected. And for people who would say, that's um, hard for me to believe, those apostles would say the same thing. It's hard for us to believe too, and we wouldn't be saying it to you unless we were eyewitnesses to this reality. The Bible is quite emphatic about underscoring that many, many people saw Jesus Christ after he had been raised from the dead. So now we have this reality that is the core message of the church. Jesus Christ is alive. What does it mean? There are important implications that come with that, one of which is... It means he is Lord. It means when he said all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, this has been demonstrated by the fact that he has defeated even death. Jesus Christ is in fact Lord, and by defeating death, this clarifies that he has life and life eternal to give to us and to offer to the world. This lordship enables him to be the one who forgives our sins and give life to us and to all who repent and receive him. This is what I would call the apostolic church. This is what the apostles did. This is what they said. This was their work. This was their message. The centerpiece of it was the glory of God. Over time, the church operated under pressure, a small minority in the first couple hundred years. Under pressure is usually when the church functions at its best. You've heard the phrase, no pressure, no diamonds? Well, in the 300s, Emperor Constantine of Rome, this is a longer story, legalized Christianity in the Roman Empire. So Christians no longer had to live under the specter of persecution. In many ways, you could say that was good because Christianity grew and it spread. But in many ways, this presented a bunch of challenges to the church because it began to grow fat. And as the church began to grow fat, it began to grow lazier. And when the church began to grow fat and lazier, in time, it began to become aligned with governments. And when the church aligned with governments, it began to be ineffective. It began to lose its distinctive prophetic voice. It began to lose its capacity to clearly invite people to the new life that Jesus Christ as Lord has to offer. The church, when it was aligned with governments, became weak and anemic And in some respects, most aligned with governments in its nationalistic forms is when the church exhibited its greatest abuses. So you've got two pictures here, the apostolic church that lives as a minority under pressure with its greatest vibrancy, or the nationalistic church that lives aligned with governments and becomes fat and lazy and sometimes abusive. It's time for the church to return to becoming the apostolic church. And we have that moment before us. And I am thrilled about it. So there are ordinary people with an extraordinary message whose lives have been changed because Jesus is alive. These are people of a distinct identity because they had a distinct devotion to a distinct God. This is the God of the scriptures who has raised Christ to life. This is a distinct devotion of a distinct people because of a distinct God. This is not the prevailing gods that had been around historically. This is not the government gods or the Caesars. Now the church becomes a distinct people with its own identity and its own life-changing message and its own vibrant, humming community as they shared life together. The church is not a government agency solving human problems in government ways. The church is a gospel agency seeking to heal human lives in gospel ways. That's the opportunity that's before us. Okay, so a quick sidebar. In the macro, conversion happens in one of two ways. Either people convert God to their image of themselves, or people convert to who God truly is. This is really in the macro, the only idea of religious conversion. It happens one or the other of these ways. When people convert God or a God figure to match our character and our desires, the result is that we baptize our brokenness, leaving us in our dystopias and dysphorias. Is there anything about it that makes us feel better? Maybe, but I think it's a manufactured hope. It's that we have assuaged and numbed the pain of our dystopias and dysphorias under a veil that God's in favor of them. The other conversion is when human beings convert to match the character and the desires of God. This is the biblical form of conversion. This is what is called repentance, moving from our old self to new life in God with Jesus Christ as Lord, back to that apostolic message from the beginning. So there is either the supremacy of the individual or the dignity of the individual. The church absolutely upholds the dignity of the individual. The dignity of the individual leads to healing and community and to life. But the supremacy of the individual, a prevailing norm in our culture today, leads to loneliness and isolation and antagonisms between people. And God is calling us into the community of the church, the apostolic church, with the message that Jesus Christ is alive. And this living Christ offers life to all who repent and come to him. This has always been the church's message in its most vital expressions. And this opportunity is before us in beautiful and fresh ways. Okay, so back to when the church is in the majority in its surrounding culture, it usually becomes fat and lazy in its ministry and in its theology. It loses its salt and light impact. But that salt and light impact has the opportunity to return if the fat falls away. And so, this is an invitation to refresh clarity, a kind of waking up. Ephesians 5 says it this way. For this reason, it says, awake sleeper and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. When Eugene Peterson began his ministry in Bel Air, Maryland, he made the comment that community didn't need a church to craft little programs to assuage their consciences or perceive needs for safety. It needed the church to invite people into a new reality ruled by the kingdom of God. And so we get to some fresh stats from Pew Research. I'll give you a couple of these. You've probably seen them. But Pew Research has compared the year 2007 with the year 2021. In America in 2007, 78% of people responded that they aligned themselves as Christians. In 2021, it was 63%. So that decline is about 15%. In 2007, 17% of Americans said they had no religion at all. In 2021, 29% of Americans said they had no religion at all. So the number of people who are practicing or are present in the church is smaller. There's no doubt about it. I personally, it's going to be hard for some of you to hear, think some of the fat's falling away. And this is an opportunity for the church to regain vibrancy as the apostolic church. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus spoke to the disciples, very much in the minority, a small band of people whose lives were devoted to him. And he said, don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. This little flock being given this great gift of the kingdom that comes from Jesus when Jesus is Lord and gives his life to us. This kingdom of God, this is the transforming new life way of understanding reality. This kingdom of God is when the angels shouted at the birth of Jesus, glory to God in the highest, and thereby peace on earth, goodwill toward those on whom his favor rests. This is a very distinct thing from the kingdom of the world. It is also a very distinct thing from the church seeking the applause of the kingdom of the world. The church is never at its best seeking the applause of the world. The church is always at its best offering the prophetic message of the invitation to forgiveness and new life and eternal life that is available in Jesus Christ. So it was angels who sang glory to God in the highest. It was angels at the tomb who announced to the women who were the first arrivers that he has been raised and he is alive. Now, when we begin to think about this kingdom, remember in Matthew 6, Jesus was asked, teach us to pray. Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's my opinion that the church has largely mistaken this prayer to mean that the church should basically do what governments do, which is try to participate in human societies to try to bring about better humanity. But that's never actually been the church's core message. The church is not a government agency seeking to solve human problems in government ways. The church is a gospel agency seeking to bring healing to lives through gospel ways. And when we begin to understand the kingdom of heaven... When Jesus says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How is it in heaven? In heaven, it's glory to God in the highest and worthy is the lamb. With all creatures bowing before in devotion and worship to him. This is the reality of the condition of the universe. God at the center with us finding our identity, our restoration, our hope and our life coming from him rather than from the efforts that we have tried to manufacture for ourselves. So, John Perkins and Bob Lupton have done a lot of writing and work together. One of my favorite things that they expressed is what they called the seven marks of an authentic church. They said, here are seven marks of the authentic church. Absorbing pain, proclaiming hope, pointing to God's authority, bringing people together, spending lavishly. Reflecting God's character and protecting the vulnerable. So we have opportunities, don't we then, to clarify Christ as Lord and to be just like the early apostolic church, that then has the opportunity to be the salt and light of the world that once again can offer people truly hope. We shouldn't expect a surrounding culture that does not distinctly find its devotion to this God to find that naturally appealing. But we begin to see by the work of the Holy Spirit that this message is where the transformation begins. It's where the church actually brings its hope to the world in both our word and our deed expressing the kingdom of God. Okay, so I don't know about you. I think about this all the time. So who's doing this? Like what churches care about this? Like what churches are really passionate about these things that seem to be biblically important? And to the best of my ability to say it, I don't run the whole world for sure, but to the degree that I can make a small influence on our church's efforts, I am deeply praying that our church cares about this stuff and that this is the kind of stuff that we want to be about. So you have to try. You got to try to do a whole bunch of stuff. Here's one of the things I've learned in almost 25 years of leadership. Hope Church will turn 25 years old this year in the fall. You cannot guarantee that everything we try will work, but I can guarantee that not trying will not work. And so, as the church is called forward in the apostolic message that Jesus is Lord, there are opportunities available to us everywhere to continue to be salt and light in this world. So, I'm going to give you a little snapshot of some plans that have been developed and clarified for our church These are the most macro expressions. There are dozens of other items that become part of this, and we come to call this our V30 vision, V meaning vision, 2030. So eight years from now, these are things that we have on our plates to pursue and to seek to accomplish together. So the first is that we intend and hope to disciple 1,500 new people. Okay, then we desire to serve and continue to launch new locations. It is our desire with really fresh initiatives and energy and commitment to train 500 young leaders for ministry. The leadership pipeline is drying up. And unless churches get really serious about developing leaders, there won't be the leaders that are needed in the future. To connect and baptize 1,500 new people from now until 2030. Now, if you look at that and you're like, gee, that seems like a lot of numbers. I'm not sure I like the numbers game. Let me share with you my view on the quote numbers game. Let's make really sure that at Hope Church, people are not numbers. At the same time, failing to measure is one of the church's reasons for malaise. And because people matter, then you would measure what matters. So we will measure what matters because people matter but we will make every effort to avoid anything that even sniffs of people being numbers. Every single person who is part of Hope Church is a human being with their own biography, their own story, their own beautiful way that God has been weaving the threads of their lives. And anybody new who comes in the doors as part of our ministry offers us the sacred privilege to walk alongside them in life, sharing with them this good news, this life-transforming reality, this forgiving new beginning start in life that Jesus Christ alone offers us. Okay, so... Let me share with you my last quote from Fleming Rutledge for the Advent season. You've probably been tired of her. Mere optimism, she says, cannot survive the brutal facts. But Christian hope is something else. Christian hope doesn't build a foundation on a new millennium or a new year. Christian hope builds its foundation on the promise of the living God that the random chaos of the world will be revealed one day to have been led and shaped. By the same hand that reached out to heal the sick and make the blind to see, to raise the dead and to call into existence the things that do not exist. In the midst of our fears and sorrows, even in the hurricanes and the ice storms, we have this hope. This is what the church whispers in the darkness. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. That's the apostolic church's message. It's our invitation as we begin a new year. So here's how I'd like to conclude this morning. I decided to share seven verses that offer a biblical hope that express the newness and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and the work of God in the world. So I'm going to ask you to stand, if you will. I'm going to read these verses and ask you to just receive them as we begin this new year and we look for hope in the midst of all that's happening in the world around us. And then afterward, I'll pray and we'll conclude with worship. Psalm 96, verse 1 and 2. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Isaiah 43, 19. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Isaiah sixty five seventeen, see I will create new heavens and a new earth; the former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. Romans six four speaking of baptism, for we died and were buried with Christ by baptism, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Second Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. 1 Peter 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And finally, Revelation 21.5. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. So what do we do with this, friends? Our lives, you may know it or may not, find their meaning and their direction and their purpose based on our commitments, the commitments that we make. Without making commitments, they flounder. So I'm going to offer a time of silent prayer for you to speak to God. God, how do you want me to commit and clarify my life in Christ or my life in the church? or my life for the cause of the kingdom. And then I'll offer just a time of prayer for any who want to clarify their relationship with Christ at the beginning of a new year. And I'll invite you, if that's you, to pray with me. So let's pray. We'll have about 30 seconds of silence, and then I'll close us. Father in heaven, at the beginning of the new year, we can say that we live in confusing and disorienting times. And so we come to you and we pray that you would bring a clarity in all of this confusing, disorienting reality. Just as the new early church was able to find its clear North Star reality and truth in the resurrection of Christ, that Jesus is Lord, and now life is found in him, Lord, would you help all of us as a church to find our life clearly in Christ? We pray for one another, Lord, all who are this church. We know, Lord, that we have all kinds of different backgrounds and stories. We pray that you would bless and hold each of our stories in your loving kingdom hands. We pray for healing for those who need healing. For those who are sick or with COVID, we ask your healing strength and power. For those who are in grief and wounded sadness, we pray for your restoration. And for those who want to begin the new year clarifying their relationship with you, pray with me. Father, I confess now my sin to you. I see things more clearly. I ask you to forgive me. I invite you, Lord Jesus Christ, now into my life as truly risen Lord and Savior. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, Now, Lord, would you bless your church, not for our glory, but for yours. Would you bless your church that we would know the dynamism of your Holy Spirit and the joy of the salvation that comes from your heart. We pray this now, Lord, at the beginning of this new year. In the name of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen.